go ahead and get started here in just a minute if you want to make your way in and find a seat. I know there's some folks still in the lobby, so we'll give them a moment to come in. And As everyone's coming in and uh, finding a seat, I want to thank you all for being here today. On behalf of the family and in memory of Jason, thank you for uh, coming here. And we hope that this is a, a great opportunity to uh, see the truth of God's word and also uh, to be an encouragement to family and friends as they are here today. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray together as we begin the service uh, this afternoon. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us. We thank you for the gift of life that you give to each of us for a period of time that we do not know at the beginning of it and even in the middle of it, Lord. And so from our perspective, there are lives that are cut short and there are moments uh, uh, on the other side of things where uh, sometimes we linger in difficulty and pain, and we don't always understand that either. But for each of us, Lord, you have appointed the span of our days, and you have uh, brought us to moments like these. These are moments for us to reflect on what has been, on people that we have loved and that are no longer here, on where we are in life, in our connection or lack of connection with you. We pray that as we look at your word together here in just a few moments that you would do the work that needs to be done in our hearts and in our minds. Comfort those who are grieving. Help us to wrestle with these important issues of life and death. And we pray that this would be a time of encouragement and blessing as well. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, our first song is going to be Be Thou My Vision. And that words for that will be up on the screen. Jonathan from our church is going to come and lead us in that. If you want to use a hymnal, 374. Oh, 
The next one is in Christ alone. a few moments ago. Thank you for being here in support of the family. And uh, some of you are friends, and some of you are family, and some of you are friends of the family, and some of you are members of our church, and so we're thankful for all of you being here today. How did you feel about Jason? For 
For those of you who are his family, you had feelings of both joy and sorrow at different points along the way, depending on the choices that he made and the situations in which he found himself. For those who are part of our church, your prayers for Jason and your conversations at church fellowship times, which he greatly enjoyed, shaped how you connected with him. For friends, you came alongside and helped, whether it was Karen and Jim or Jared and his family, others through phone calls, visits, various practical things, uh, especially in the last six or seven months. For those of you who were caregivers and helped in that way, your focus was on his comfort, especially in the last year, and you gave of yourself sacrificially to make that happen for him. For those who have uh, come today to support the family, uh, you might have known Jason, you might not have known Jason, but you're here because of those who loved him and cared for him. My point is not that everyone should feel the same about Jason, nor will we, but we should respond to his life and death in a way that matches what God wants, as the Bible describes. As we saw in the morning service today, it's easy to miss the point of what the Bible is saying, to get stuck on a word or phrase, to pull it out of context and misunderstand or go the wrong direction because of that starting point. It's easy to miss the point of someone's life as well. To get stuck on a particular incident or pattern of the person's life that particularly affected us and not to respond the ways that God wants us to. Jesus said in Luke 13 some surprising words. He had been teaching the crowds and someone came up and asked him about current events. He said uh, there was this, uh, someone mentioned this incident that the Roman ruler Pilate had killed some people while they were at worship and wanted to get Jesus' thoughts on that event. And in his response, Jesus mentions another event. There were 18 people in a tower and the tower collapsed and they were killed in the collapse of the tower. How did Jesus respond? He said these words, he said, And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so in Jesus' words, we have a surprising response to a seemingly tragic event. You and I could look at Jason's life. We could have all sorts of opinions about things that happen in his life. We could have an opinion about how he approached treatment for his brain cancer. But God's the one who decides the span of our days. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? We have to be responsible in the choices we make in life, but only God knows and only he sets the countdown for when you will draw your last breath. And that will, day will come for every last one of us. We could be frustrated at the government, at the prison system for sending him home versus maybe trying harder to help him in some way if that would have been possible. And those in authority might make bad decisions, but the Bible says in Proverbs, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so whatever decisions were made there didn't dictate the course of Jason's life. Death is not something that came to Jason specifically as punishment for the wrong things that he had done. 
And yes, he did make some sinful and evil, and evil choices at certain points in his life, but he was being held accountable for those. Death's not something that came to Jason by unfortunate accident because of the brain tumor that he had. Death came from him because sin is in the world and the world is broken. Because it's appointed, as it says in the book of Hebrews, for every last one of us to die, and after this comes God's judgment of our lives. So if we look at Jason and we miss the opportunity to consider where each of us stands before God, we have missed one of the really important points of his life and death. Where do you stand before God? Are you trying to work your way to him? Do you think that you're okay with God because you've never done anything really bad by human standards? Because the people around you think that you're a good person? Because your good supposedly outweighs your bad? The Bible says none of that matters. What matters is, do you have a relationship with God? Or as Jesus says here, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What does it mean to repent? Turning from many things. Turning from our own way of life, where we say, I can figure life out on my own. I am sufficient in myself. I can do it on my own. Turning from things we might believe that are contrary to what God has said. Turning away from the sin that we often love and walk in. We have to turn away from all of those things. Repenting means turning from all of that and turning to God. Here's what God has said is true. He's the one I have to follow. He's the one who says what I can and can't do in life. Going from here to submitting to God as our final authority. That Jesus is the only way to God. It says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. You can't come to God by going to church. You can't come to God by being a good person. You can't come to God by helping out people in need. Should you go to church and gather with God's people? Yes. Should you help out those in need? Absolutely. Is that get you into God's presence someday and say, yes, I accept you because you did all this stuff? No. The only thing that makes you acceptable in God's sight is if you come to him by the way that he's appointed, by the one that he's appointed, and that is Jesus. Who was Jesus? Historically, he was a man who lived some 2,000 years ago in the time of the Roman Empire among the people of Israel. But the Bible says he wasn't just a man. He was also God. And because he was a man and God, he could as a man die and as God perfectly pay for the sins of every person that God was going to save. Because all of us are sinners. And what's sin? Sin is saying, God said, do this, and I don't do it. God said, don't do that, and we do it. We say, I'm not a sinner. You may not be as bad a sinner as somebody else, but every last one of us is a sinner. And the Bible says, because you're a sinner, we stand helpless and hopeless in that judgment that's coming to all of us at the moment of death. We need to repent. So the first point that I think that we should consider from Jason's life is have you repented? Have you turned away from sin and self and all of those things and turned to God to serve him? That's really the most important question. 
As we continue thinking about Jason's life and death, we might wonder and ask the question, because we ask this question when someone who we love dies, is Jason in heaven today? I can't answer that question for you. I'll be honest, I can't answer that question for anybody in this room today. I can have maybe a good guess. I can be hopeful. I can say based on this, 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 and this, I think. But I don't know your heart. You can look like you're following God for a whole long stretch of your life and then go off the deep end and, and we say, what happened? And only God sees the end from the beginning. We can think that we know, but only God knows. And we only see people for a brief period of their lives. I only knew Jason for maybe the last year of his life. Jason, as you see in your uh, program, got baptized, became a part of the church in his teenage years. In his late 20s and 30s, he made a series of sinful choices, ended up in prison. Can you go to heaven if you've been in prison? Yes. Can you go to heaven if you've done really terrible things to other people? Yes. The Apostle Paul who wrote a whole lot of the New Testament, had been a murderer, God forgave him and he went on to serve God with the second half of his life. The Bible is clear that God does forgive sinners. Can true Christians sin? 1 John says that Christians don't love and live in sin, but absolutely we do. And when we do, we have to take that back to God, seek his forgiveness and the forgiveness of the people around us and deal with that sin. The Bible is also clear when we come to the end of Matthew that some people who look like followers of God aren't, and some people who are followers of God, as we look at a passage like from Second Peter, may not look like it by those standards we usually evaluate people by. The church collectively has a responsibility to warn someone who stops acting like a Christian, who's a part of a local assembly, hey, you're not walking with God, we're calling you back to walk with him. Sometimes we've taken that on ourselves as an individual responsibility. Our job individually is not to say you are or aren't a Christian before or after someone dies. Our job individually is to come alongside those who say they're following God and help them keep doing that and those who don't seem to be following God and call them to walk with God. To speak about Jesus to people as long as we have opportunity and to trust God with the rest. You and I don't decide who gets into heaven. God does. The way to God is through Jesus. So are we pointing people to God through Jesus? Why did Jason have the struggles that he did if he began walking after Jesus or seemed to in his teenage years and even at the end of his life he'd say, I'm saved when asked? He'd heard the gospel and truth from the Bible many times. He came to church here for a while. He went to other churches throughout the course of his life. Why did he have the struggles that he did? I think to answer that question, we need to think about what happens after someone starts trusting Jesus. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go th therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So if someone trusts Jesus and decides to follow him and to become one of his disciples, the next step that says, hey, I'm willing to follow Jesus and I'm, I'm, I'm committed to follow Jesus is baptism. 
And we know that Jason was baptized. But we also have to recognize baptism doesn't save you. It's important, it's necessary, it's essential, but it doesn't save you. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to keep following after God. It's possible to get baptized and not really know Jesus, or to get baptized and then later turn away from Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul said of his friend Demas, he left having loved this present world. I'm not at this moment talking about Jason's life because, like I said, that is in God's hands. I'm talking about for all of us. How do we think about the people that grew up in church, who did all these sorts of things? How are we supposed to think about that in general? Many times when I was... um, uh, Here's the, here's the thing that we need to think about. When Jesus talks about this idea of discipleship in this passage, in Matthew 28, he says this phrase, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Where is that happening for you? Where is that happening for people like Jason who was in church and heard the truth and then for long periods of life went his own way? Before I was the pastor here, I was uh, part of another church and my main responsibility was go and visit people Uh, in their homes because they were getting older and having difficulty getting out or they would be in the hospital or they'd be recovering from maybe a hip replacement or something like that uh, at at a rehab facility. They would say something like this. My grandson grew up in church. My granddaughter always went to Sunday school. My kids were in a Christian school. Why aren't they following God now? Sometimes we've misunderstood verses from the Old Testament, like the one in Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. We've said that's a guarantee from God that if I teach my kids the right thing, they'll always stick with it throughout their whole lives. But a lot of people don't do that. How are we supposed to think about that? We should realize there's way more to the Christian life than praying a prayer, getting baptized, and then someday we die and end up in heaven. There's the whole part in between where we're supposed to live and walk with God. Godly parents, good schools, good friends can be a huge influence on us, but those things are not a guarantee of us following God our whole lives long. How do we combat the pull of our hearts back to the old way of life? I I was living in sin, and now I'm trusting Jesus, and I get baptized, I want to follow after him, but there's this pull back to that old way of living probably most of us still still feel that in various ways and in various circumstances. It's easy to have sort of this complacency of, hey, I'm a Christian because this thing happened 20 years ago. If, if walking with God is a relationship with God, if we think about how relationships work, if we're like, hey, here's my friend, haven't talked to him in 30 years. How much of a friend is he to you? How much of a friend are you to him? A relationship with God is not about something that you look back on and say, this happened three decades ago. This happened 10 years ago. This happened five years ago. It's about I learn about God through his word, I spend time talking to God in prayer. This is an ongoing, active thing that right now. When I was a kid, I had a friend that I met at camp who had amnesia. He hit his head really hard, got a concussion, couldn't remember anything before he was about 10 or 11 years old. His parents said, hey, you prayed a prayer when you were seven. It's like, I don't know. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I can't tell you for sure that I did that, 
But that really doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because in that moment when he and I were talking, he said, I'm believing in Jesus and I'm trusting in him right now and I'm trying to walk with him. So maybe you have a date written down in your Bible or on a piece of paper somewhere at some church or in your house, and maybe you don't. The question is not, did you do something a long time ago? The question is, are you walking with God right now? How do we help people keep following after Jesus in that way? There has to be an ongoing process of discipleship. Each of us sharing what God is teaching us, praying fervently for each other, finding out what's going on in each other's lives, treating each other like family in the church versus like members of the same club who happen to show up once a week instead of once a month for club meetings. Jason had some of those opportunities, but he probably could have had more. And regardless of that, other people like Jason still need those kind of opportunities on an ongoing basis. And while you and I can't guarantee that people will be, keep following God if we reach out, we can almost certainly guarantee that they won't keep following God if we fail in our responsibility to reach out and ignore them. So to sum all that part up, if you're the one who is wandering, you don't feel like you're close to God, you're not quite sure what to do, you don't know how to think about life, there is hope, and that hope is found in Jesus, and I or anybody here who knows Jesus will be glad to talk to you about that and say, here's what it means to know Jesus and to walk after him, and you can do that today. And if you are the person who is trying to walk with God and you see somebody over there wandering, what does God call you to do? Go over there and help them. So the second point is this. Are you discipling someone and are you being discipled? Because all of us need that and all the people around us need it. Maybe you say, I have repented. I'm trying to come alongside those who need discipled or confronted or helped. Let me remind you of one final lesson from Jason's life. God calls Christians to be people of forgiveness. God calls us not to give up on people. For those of you who have been at our church, we just finished up looking at the book of Hosea in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings. And this prophet in the Old Testament, Hosea, was like God. And here's how he was like God. God said, go marry this wife. She's not going to be faithful to you. Keep going after her and bringing her home. So he did. How was he like God? Because that's how God treated his people Israel. They kept running away after other gods, going their own way. And God kept going after them and bringing them home. We can't change people's hearts. Only God can do that. But sometimes there's moments when people have wronged us time and again, or when it doesn't seem like there's change happening in people's life. And again, I'm talking broadly, because this is true of a lot of people. You've encountered this sort of thing. Here's this friend who keeps making promises and doesn't fulfill them. Here's that family member who keeps making the same foolish decisions over and over again and it's ruining their lives and, and it doesn't seem like anything is different. It's really easy to get to a point where you just say, you know what, I'm done. But this wasn't just an Old Testament idea, this idea of continuing to pursue and continuing to forgive. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the hope that he shares. Such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. When did Jesus come to rescue sinners like us and take us from here's all the things we were doing wrong to such were some of you? He came to do it while we were all still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 says. So who have you been praying for year after year? Or trying to help time after time? Who keeps taking advantage of your kindness and you say, that's it, I'm done? Who are you giving up on today? Jesus called his disciples to forgive not seven times, not 70 times, but seven times 70 times. What's the point of that? It's not the 491st time you're done. It is keep forgiving over and over again as many times as you were asked. Even to that person who did you wrong because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Is there judgment for sin? Absolutely, but you and I are not that judge. God is, and Jesus, when he comes back, to rule and to reign. Warn people when they do wrong, yes, but keep forgiving them. Forgiveness really only works if both people participate. But maybe you can't have the conversation now that you need to have with someone that there is something between you and that person. Maybe because that person's still around, but they won't talk to you. Maybe because that person's not here anymore and you can't say those words. In those situations, what are we supposed to do? Even though forgiveness can't reach its full end, that person says yes and the relationship is restored, we can deal with it with God and we say, God, I'm not going to hold bitterness and resentment and I have confessed what I can to you because I don't have opportunity to confess it to the other person. Why do we give it to God? Because ultimately he's the one that they sinned against the most. We just happen to be the ones nearby when they did whatever the wrong thing was. So I don't know, maybe there's someone here today that Jason did wrong to you. Or you did wrong to him. Obviously you can't have that conversation with him right now. But you can and you should deal with whatever is stands between you and other people. God says, forgive and receive forgiveness. Ask for it. Don't give up on those relationships that you continue to have with people that are difficult. Or maybe you're the one who feels like you have to keep asking for forgiveness. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know what? God, in his power, is the only way that you're ever going to break free from that pattern of sinful choices over and over again. So if you find yourself doing the same sinful things over and over again, maybe the problem isn't that you need to keep asking forgiveness of people around you. Maybe the problem is you need to start and for the first time really ask forgiveness of God and turn to him. And when you do and when you really have for the first time in your life a real relationship with God, then you also have the power to begin to say no to sin and to live in a way that pleases God and that is the right way to live with the people around you.
As much as possible, God calls us to be at peace with all men, to deal with sin promptly, and to see him work. God hasn't given up on you. So the third point, I think, is this. Do you keep forgiving or do you give up on people? We've talked about some hard things just now. About the need to repent versus comparing ourselves to other people and say, well, that person's worse than me, so I'm okay. No, God says, you and I have to repent. About the need to disciple versus just hope for the best for those around us who are struggling. Somebody else will do it. It's too much work. I've tried it before and it didn't work. We come up with all kinds of excuses. God says no. Keep reaching out and ministering to those around you. I've talked about the need to forgive instead of letting bitterness or anger set in. And there are many people in life who have done us wrong or that we have wronged. God says we've got to deal with those things, but it starts by dealing with our sin with him. These are heavy things to wrestle with. But these are truths that God has shared with us. When we go to the meal here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have the opportunity to remember Jason and all of who he was. And there were good memories alongside the difficult ones. And there are going to be opportunities to laugh as well as to cry. And we should take those. But don't miss the really important points. That Jason's life or the life and death of anyone else we encounter should call us to do. Have you repented? Are you watching out for those around you? Are you forgiving and being forgiven? If any of you feel like you want to talk to somebody about these things, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you after the service or take one of the cards from the pew in front of you or there's a little ledge in the back that's got the church contact information. These are important things to figure out. And I'm sure in a room this size, there's probably somebody who... um, There's probably somebody... Who can't say yes to all these questions. Yes, I've repented. Yes, I'm watching out for people around me. Yes, I'm forgiving and being forgiven. And you're going to be tempted to say, you know what? I'll get to that later. The Bible says, now is the point in time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put off your walk with God till tomorrow. You and I don't know how long we have. For those of you who are here in the morning service, I said my daughter had brain cancer five years ago. It's a hard thing to walk through. It's a hard thing when it pops up unexpectedly and you don't know how to respond. My first wife, Kelly, had colon cancer, stage four cancer. She was gone in six months. I'm not saying these things to try to make you feel pity for me or something like that or to like steal the focus from Jason's family. I'm just saying, look, when I say death is a reality, all of us stand before God, these are things we got to get straight right now and not put off. This is serious. Have you repented? Are you watching out for those around you and helping them walk with God? Are you forgiving and being forgiven.
These are the things I think God wants us to think about. So thank you for coming today. Let's pray, and we're going to sing a closing song, and then I'll come back up and give you instructions for the meal. And uh, thank you for being here today. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this afternoon. We thank you for the grace that you showed in Jason's life at so many points along the way. There certainly could have been more people who came alongside and helped him, but there were many who did. There were hard memories, but there were also good ones. There was a difficulty, but there was also demonstrations of love and sacrifice that mirror the sort of love that you showed for us. And so, Lord, we pray and we leave Jason in your hands. For each of us who haven't come to that same moment, though, Lord, we need to be ready. We can look for that moment in fear, trying to prolong it as long as possible through the things we eat, the medications that we take, the surgeries that we have, the activities we do or don't do. But that day is coming for every last one of us. And we can run from it, or we can have a relationship with you that lets us say, like Paul did when he was drawing near, life's been hard, I have work yet to do, but being with God is so much better that I'm not afraid of that moment. Lord, my prayer for every one of us in this room today would be that when we come to that moment that we are not afraid because we know where we stand with you, that we are forgiven because of what Jesus did, not because we've got to do one more thing. That we have turned from our sin and not that we've been perfect, but that we were trying to walk with you. That we didn't know everything, but we knew more about you by the end than when we started. Help us, Lord, to look for that day not as a day to be feared, not as a day to run away from, but a day in which the fact that Jesus, who was raised from the dead, will give new life to all those who die, who have been trusting in him. This is the message that Jason heard on many occasions, that he said, I believe this, I'm saved, I'm trusting in Jesus. Or this is the message that many, hopefully most of us here in this room today are also trusting in. There's one way to God through Jesus. If we turn and follow after him, we may lose everything in this world, but we will gain eternity and we will have the privilege of being your people and we can look forward to being with you forever. Not about a place, really, not about heaven, but about a person, 
the place where God dwells and the people that God's called out for himself. Father, we pray that you would bless our time of conversation as we go from here to the meal, that there would be encouragement, that there would be tears, that there would be laughter, that there would be just good conversations. Lord, sometimes in these moments we don't know what to say. Hopefully I've said some of the things that we're thinking and we can keep thinking about those things and you'll give us the grace to say the next things that need to be said to encourage, to help, to remember, to look forward to how you'll continue to work in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name.